today's episode, we go back in time. It's an origin story for me, for my life. And we will have a great conversation with Morris Dirks, who was my youth pastor growing up. And then he became the head pastor. And then he moved on to be a head pastor at another church up in Washington State. And now he's the founding director of Soul Formation, an organization that ministers to church leaders. They have retreats and programs that go through and help in the formation of people's souls. Very important work. And with that, let's dial Morris Dirks up and have a little conversation. Okay, so I'm getting ready to call Morris Dirks my youth pastor. He said it was okay to call him at this time. Hey, Greg. Morris Dirks. Bye, buddy. How are you? Good. How are you? Hey, really good. Yeah. Yeah, man. We are doing fine here in Portland. That's awesome. (laughs) Where are you working now? Uh, good question. <laughs> I, do you work? I, you know, I work really hard at several things. Uh, I just don't get paid for a lot of them. So <laughs> uh-huh. I, uh, I was doing some teaching at Corbin and George Fox and RTI there at the Alliance church here in Salem. Um, yeah. and then yeah, yeah, yeah. when my sister passed away, I decided to back away from that and, um, finish my book and take care of my mom a little bit. I'm kind of her taxi driver for now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to remember what you were doing. Were you selling real estate for a while? What was you, what was your big deal a few years ago? <laughs> my big deal. Yeah. So I was, I, I taught uh, junior high English right out of college up in Tacoma okay. and then yep. I sold real estate for about 18 years. And then I was a pastor at the Nazarene church for 10 years. Yep. I remember your shift from real estate to the NAS, and then I kind of lost a little track of what happened in these last couple of years. Yeah, I think most of us lost track of what happened in the last couple of years, didn't we? No, (laughs) that is the truth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like everybody's got to tell us a story because something changed. Yeah. Well, how about you? What's keeping you busy? Well, um, we hired a new executive director for Soul Formation, so that was keeping me really busy for the last uh, 16 years. But uh, a year ago, last August, we hired our new executive director and she finished up 01 and now she's done all of 02, just doing such a great job. She's in Seattle and then, you know, there's about uh, six of us all together. Uh, She's in Seattle. Rita is north of Seattle. Dave is in Spokane. Bill is here in Portland. I'm in Portland. And our, our executive assistant lives in Vancouver, Washington. But anyway, all of our retreats, our Academy of Spiritual Formation, which is four retreats, uh, each retreat is four days. We do four retreats over 18 months. We're on cohort 14, and then we started School of Spiritual Direction, and we're getting ready to kick off uh, next fall cohort seven of the School of Spiritual Direction. So I am doing spiritual direction, and I do the retreats, speaking and leading at the retreats, but I'm only working three days a week now, you know, slowing down a bit. So I'm turning 69 in February. Wow. So, um, yeah, you know, you kind of go, really? Um, I'm not ready for that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we're doing great. We're still counseling. Uh, she's going to end her counseling practice and just do spiritual direction starting uh, next, you know, a year from now. So, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're getting ready to go on Social Security, and I'm going to keep working half time. Wow. 
And yeah. you've practically lost all of your Canadian accent. I yeah, I wonder. <laughs> uh, every once in a while, I'll come across a word. Still, like nobody, it's a word that nobody hardly ever uses. And then I hear it said down here, and I'll go, "Well, that's another Canadian American ism that I hadn't got in my books yet." You know, <laughs> so yeah. Very nice. Uh, I just wanted to uh, go back. Uh, today's my launch day, by the way. Uh, the oh, book, I'm glad for you. Yeah, book is launching. And as a part of the launch and as part of kind of rounding out the project of writing my first book, I wanted to go back and kind of revisit how did I get to where I am? Uh, yeah. Not not just yeah. theologically, but just as a person that ends up writing a book about rest and I thought, who better to start the program than my youth pastor? So huh. I just have a few questions because, yeah. uh, as you know, I was a youth pastor for a while, so I've got that perspective. But looking back into high school, I think everybody, looking back at that time in their life, it's just sort of a blur. It's yeah. uh, There's a little bit of embarrassment about how immature we are at that time because we realize it later. You were a youth pastor for four years. Is that correct? We came down in 83, so 83, 84, 85, 86, and then 87, I shifted to the lead role. Yes. So those were the, those are my four years in high school. So yeah. Yeah. You entered high school fall of 83. Am I right? Uh, uh, yeah. Fall of 83. That whole graduating class, the start to finish group that had four years in the youth group started fall of 83. Yep. That's right. Yep. So, uh, how old were you when you took over? As a youth pastor? 29. 29. And so you had moved uh, directly from Canada at that time? Yeah. I grew up in Saskatoon for 12 years. Then we moved to Regina, the capital city. And in, in that city is the uh, Canadian Bible College and the Canadian Theological College. I did one year of Bible college. And then I went to the university and did a BA in sociology. And then I went into with Youth for Christ for three years. Then I went to the West Coast for two years and did a youth pastor near Vancouver. And then I moved back to Canadian Theological Seminary and did two more years to finish my Master of Divinity. And as soon as that was done, we moved down to the States. And So I had done youth ministry in Canada for Youth for Christ for three years, a youth pastorate for two years, so that's five. And then I was teaching youth ministry while I was working on my MDiv, so that's sort of another two. And, yeah, and our kids were two and four. Yeah, I remember they were little. Yep. And I remember uh, that first barbecue you had in your backyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yeah. Inf- infamous, I remember it. <laughs> infamous barbecue. Yeah. And uh, my recollection is there was uh, one hot dog left over on the grill that yep. nobody wanted yep. to eat because it was all shriveled yep. up and nasty. Yep. Yep. And you just kicked it across the whole backyard. Yep. yep. I kicked it across into the next yard, maybe. Uh, I actually remember that moment. And I remember that Ted Zabel was there because he was there to pick up Andy. Yeah. And Ted was sort of standing in the background a bit because he commented on that after it happened. And, you know, I just took it off the barbecue and I said, there's nobody going to eat this hot dog. And nobody did. And I just planted it and booted it over the fence. And we all laughed. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And yep. then you remember the hot tub in the backyard there. Oh, yeah. That came in about a year later. And interestingly enough, I, so you were 29. I, when I got my youth pastor job, I was 39 and my, and my kids were uh, getting ready to enter into the high school level. And 
interestingly enough, we got a hot tub in my backyard about the same time. So, you know, that hot tub, that hot tub came into the backyard, Greg, because I don't know if you remember a Salem Alliance, but there used to be a thing called the wanting and willing board. You know, do you remember that? I don't. Okay. So that was a, um, a sort of a triangular board. And on one side, you would tack up little cards that would say, we need a uh, children's carriage. We need new tires for our car. We need some baby clothes. We need whatever. And then on the other side, we've, we've got, you know, this available. We don't need this high chair anymore. We don't need this what golf cart, we, you know. And so you could just change things, move things around, right, in the church. And the elders had wheeled it down to the front. I was doing the announcements. And, and they said, Morris, you need to introduce how the wanting and willing board works. And I did. And they were wheeling it back out. And I said, by the way, I said, you know, I could really use a hot tub in my backyard. So would you put that on the wanting side? And I was so kidding. I, I was just like, that was just a joke. And Dennis Blackman actually had a, uh, they were making spas and selling them. And he uh, got an encouragement card about three days later. And it said, about the spa, the hot tub, uh, call me Dennis and his phone number. And I just went, what? And so I called him. And he said, uh, yeah, you're right. You're a youth pastor and you need a hot tub and we're going to put one in your backyard. And that's how that is. <laughs> oh, it's the church at its best right there. Yeah, it was the church at its best. That's great. It's it's yeah. funny. I can see you making that joke just, you know, to get the announcement started, right? Yeah. And, then, and yeah. it ends up with, you know, hot water in your backyard. So Yeah, I know. Like that stuff happens. I should have asked for a beach house, I guess. Oh, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let's have, let's think a little bigger here, Morris. Yeah, let's hope for the big one. <laughs> hey, any recollections uh, just of being a youth pastor in the 80s? I mean, we look back now. I, I remember in the 80s when I was growing up, we were looking back at the 50s uh, romantically, you know, my mm -hmm. parents and mm -hmm. remembering all the 50s and the songs and all the, and now People look back at the 80s and romantically think about the songs and how simple life was. And any recollections you have just about being a youth pastor in that time? When I landed the first Christmas, maybe, we had a Christmas party. Probably maybe, you know, 34, 30, 35 kids at somebody's basement. And MTV had just started. Oh, yeah. Michael Jackson was on. Uh, Forget the song. And like, it was the, it was the big deal. And I looked at MTV back then and kind of went, this is weird. This is so different from what I grew up in terms of rock and roll in the sixties and seventies. It's gone entertainment and it's gone on TV in a way that doesn't look, this doesn't look super healthy. And, you know, so, so back then you guys would look at it and go, this is great. And I was sort of as the youth pastor going, not all of this is great. I, and uh, I'm kind of concerned about the visuals that are starting to come down on MTV. And I, I do remember that as one of the first things. Um, disco had come in before that. And so the late 70s, you know, the whole disco culture hit. And that was a huge shift musically. So I remember that. It was the beginning of Dobson. And oh, yeah. Parents, all the parenting stuff that came out and the start of the, you know, sort of the right wing um, influence. Um, on parents, not politically, but just conservatively of, um, of what parents need to do to protect their kids and hence the need for uh, private Christian schools. And people were pressing really hard that you should send your kids to the academy because they were sort of like, don't let your kids be in the public school system. And so there was always the issue in the youth group of 
what kids are in the public system and on Sunday morning and Sunday school and what kids are at the academy. Uh. And we would kind of follow the public school system because most of the kids were in public school, right? So <laughs> then at Sunday school, we present the award on Sunday morning. What was it like? We had a paper bag with a jock strap in it. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. That was the jock strap award to, to the school that had done the big thing in football or basketball that week. And so you or somebody from a particular school, South Salem or something, we'd have them get the, the dirty jock award, I think. Yeah. In well, Sunday school. I'm not sure you could do that again. Oh, oh, Greg, there's so much <laughs> stuff that we did that you can't do now. That is the other thing about being youth pastor. I look back and I go, youth pastors today have their hands tied in so many ways and so many more challenges to face. And I think we had a lot of freedom to have a lot of fun and, and do stuff. Yep. So, and the school environment in the, in the early eighties, like we go to games and they were jammed up with uh, basketball and football, especially it was like, get, come early and get a place to sit. Cause it's going to be a great evening. Yeah. And so the whole Salem Kaiser culture was a fun one to do youth ministry in, I thought. Yeah. Cause it was, a, you could embrace the whole city on Sunday morning in Sunday school and have kids from every school and, um, and, and you sort of felt like you were, it was, a city, it was not like Portland or Seattle. You, you really felt like you came to church and it was the whole city was sort of represented there by the high schools. Yeah. I really, I mean, especially in Kaiser, cause we just had one high school yeah. really oh, yeah. felt the community spirit, everybody coming uh, out. I've, I've been back, you know, my kids grew up, uh, one graduated from Salem Academy, one went to West Salem high school. And just the difference in time period and the yeah. lack of community and yep. yeah, yeah, it's just a different feel, which I it, want, I want to go back to McNary and sit in there on a, on a Friday night for football or basketball. But people have said to me, it, it ain't the same, man. Yeah. So, yeah. The other thing I remember about youth ministry back then was I came out of a youth ministry culture where on Wednesday night, we had a Bible study that was like, there were, you know, lots of kids in the room sitting, you know, cross-legged on the floor with their Bibles open. And I think that came, a little sort of came out of the Jesus movement culture back. But that's what was happening to me. And that's how I did youth ministry. Start in the house, make it relational, kick the kids out that just want to come and have a good time and study the word and give them, give them some serious meat on Wednesday night. And um, that started with maybe... 12 or maybe 15 kids at our house. And I don't know if you were part of it back then. By the time maybe a few months in, we had to move to the church because it was now 2025. Yep. And it just kept going. It just kept going. And yeah, so that was, those, those, it, was uh, it was fun. And then we'd have, you know, social events and we'd go on retreats and go to Christopher Lake. We, you know, went up to Canada, did a couple of work camps, went down to South America. You were often busy. You had other stuff going on because you were sports connected. Yep. And couldn't do everything with us, but you were all in. And man, we had parties at my house. I remember the cops showing up at my house because it was just a lot of noise, <laughs> a lot of cars. Yep. And knock on the door and, and you know, like they're expecting booze and and I'm going, oh, there's nothing going on here, nothing to see. And they go, <laughs> oh, you know, and they, they leave. But I can't believe what my neighbors must have thought when I moved into the neighborhood and all of a sudden, 35 cars pile in and kids are running around the street. You know, I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It was not like young life being at some house every week. So, 
Yeah. So yeah. I yeah, I was double dipping with the Young Life crowd and yeah, ended up perfect. serving with Young Life uh, after college. And yeah. uh, that was uh, a good companion ministry to go alongside my church experience. I, I do remember that party where I, I think, I don't know if it was that first year, but I remember being down in a basement watching uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller video yeah. premiere. Yeah. It must have been a Halloween party because I think that's when it premiered. And okay. it was just, everybody was flabbergasted. Yeah. And I remember Bible study at your, at your house. Okay. You on came those, over there. Yeah. On those 70s couches that you had. Oh, for it, sure. Yeah. I, yeah. Did you have a sunken living room? It, do I remember come that? In, come in the front door and it was just a half a step down yep. to the living room dining area. And then, uh, you know, half a step up when you came into the entryway and then went down the hallway from there. Yep. My you mind know? is like a still trap. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that was youth ministry days for us. And that house has a ton of good memories. And you guys playing with our kids and taking our kids in whenever you'd come over, like they'd be playing some crazy stuff and they'd be running around with you. There'd be water balloon wars and on all of that. And in the hot tub, it was a hot tub for six and there'd be 13 people in there yeah, and the girls are sitting in their bikinis and guys are twisted between their legs. And I'm going, you know, this is crazy, but it's sure a lot of fun. That's, <laughs> that's why the police came over. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you remember this, but Art Shattuck used to be responsible for a number of care homes in our neighborhood where seniors lived. And one was right behind our house. Yeah. And so on those, when the hot tub got lit up, we'd get a phone call from Art Shattuck saying, hey, uh, the people behind you are complaining because the seniors are trying to go to sleep and could you kind of cool it in the hot tub? And uh, that happened several times. And the last night I was a youth pastor, we, we lit up a party at my place and I had somebody call Art from my house and say, there's another party going on. <laughs> oh, no. I was waiting for Art to call me back to say, yeah, we had another complaint. He never called me that night. <laughs> oh, man. What's funny is uh, in college, I ended up working on a landscaping crew with Art and his boys, uh, and uh, we did the landscaping for all those houses in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple more things. I remember in my 20s uh, going to Bible Study Fellowship and kind of getting into the Word and a different level in my life, uh, maybe for the first time. I mean— it's one thing to go to church and youth group yeah. and, yeah. you know, Wednesday nights in high school. But I was, I think I was so distracted just by everything else going on and adolescence and hormones and, you know. Yeah. And I remember making some connections in Bible study fellowship my first year going through the book of John. Yeah. Uh, like basic stuff. Like when John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God pointing to Jesus and mm -hmm. I knew that John had said that in the Gospels, and I knew that there were lambs in the Old Testament that were sacrificed. Mm -hmm. I had never made that connection before. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember looking at the scripture going, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me that I grew up in the church. I went to youth group. I was a young life kid, mm -hmm. and I never connected. I had both of those dots on my page, but I had never connected them. Yeah. And, and I remember my first reaction was just a little bit of anger. <laughs> mm, sure. um, like, how did I, how did that happen? How did the church fail me? Right. Mm. Was, was my original response. And mm -hmm. then as time went on 
and especially when I became a youth pastor, <laughs> so life mm-hmm. teaches, right? Yeah. Um, it became more clear to me that I was just probably not listening when all that stuff was presented. Yeah. Because yeah. I do remember Wednesday nights, you got into it. I mean, you got into the Bible, you really... We did. We would say the Gospels and the Epistles. Yeah. We went hard into the text. I do remember one night, there was the uh, main lounge, but there was also the fireside room. You know, it was a smaller room with a fireplace. But we were in there that night for our Bible study. And there was a bunch of people screwing around, you know, three or four. And I remember I stopped the Bible study and I said, hey, everybody, I don't know. What what would you think if you had, you know, wax the car and wash the car all up and people came and just mighty did or dirtied it right away? You know, you kind of be tipped off. And I said, when I prepare a study to come and study God's word, I come assuming that we're going to come and respect what's going on in this room. And some of you aren't. And, you know, I just gave him what for that night. That wasn't you. But, but I remember, <laughs> I, I remember how important it was that that group. And that's why we moved to the house. And I said, we're not going to do stuff at the church anymore. Before I came, I actually was told that there's kids in Sunday school that don't like Sunday school. So they, they're allowed to play cards in the side room. Wow. And, and yeah. attitude was, you got to be kidding me. And because like I had a pretty high view of what we do on Sunday and what we do on Wednesday, we can screw around, you know, on Saturday or Friday night after the sports events. But Sunday, I, I want Sunday schools to have some content. <laughs> I remember Craig Clark teaching a Cowboys guide to Philippians. That was, that was a, oh, another memory I had from <laughs> Sunday mornings, but Sunday morning would be 90 plus kids. Wow. And, and Wednesday night would match Sunday for numbers in the fourth year. Wow. We'd run 90 for Bible studies on Wednesday night. It was a good group. Yeah, it was a super great group. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know what? We were crazy, Greg. We did things that were really crazy. <laughs> and I never, I have no recollection. I'm sure it must have happened. I have no recollection of a parent calling me and reaming me out for doing something too crazy or something too risky or saying, you know, I don't want my kid participating in that. Like, um, there was just a lot of room to yeah. be wild and crazy and people, parents like just let us, let us do what we were doing and kind of celebrated it. So, I mean, your mom and dad were all in in supporting me and that's kind of like where everybody was. Yeah. yeah. It was a good time. It was, it was, I mean, we're so glad we moved down. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, I remember one of the things uh, that I really bought into hook, line and sinker, and I did not get it from you. So let me be clear about that was there was a thing called back masking and I had gotten probably heard it on the radio. I ordered some cassette tapes out of Southern California to, you know, just become more wise about what this thing is yeah. Yeah. and totally bought into uh, people are putting backwards messages. So I'll want to smoke marijuana or something like that. So yeah. So totally bought into it, borrowed albums from my secular friends. And I was, it it was literally, I was, I was a youth pastor in my, in my early forties when I revisited that for the first time, having some maturity in the faith and I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm going, Oh no. Yeah, that right. whole thing was just a complete sham. Yeah, 
I mean, yep. just a complete, oh, yep. no. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was a good realization. Oh, that's great, great. Yeah. yeah, that is great. The other movement that was going on in the 70s and really big in the 80s was maybe into the 90s. This present darkness and all of the concern about um, Satan things going on everywhere. Yep. And yep. they're kind of developed in the church at that time, which I never went down this pathway, was, yeah, Satan kind of got 49% of the power and Jesus has 51. And you got to be really worried about whether the enemy has the upper hand if you're not careful. And like, I, I mean, Paul gives clear warnings about, about Satan, but, but the fear factor went into a kind of almost sort of a cosmic dualism between the powers of light and the powers of darkness. And people lost track of their Christology in that. And I remember teaching, this is after youth ministry, but teaching the church and just going, Paul mentions Satan or the devil or other names for him 20 times in all of his literature. He mentions Christ 20 times in the first chapter of Ephesians. Let's keep our perspective. He, he, has, he has no room for Satan having the upper hand. leaves no room for that. But we really got into this fear thing about um, Satanism being around everywhere. Yep. And also Satan taken away from my uh, personal response to sin, right? Um, yep. So why am I stuck where I'm at? It's um, it's so easy just to blame Satan for uh, my yep. troubles instead of saying, you know what? No, that, I was given a couple options there and I chose the wrong one myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I remember those sort of movements that were happening even when we were in high school groups. You just sort of you just looked at some ultra conservative um, movements in the evangelical church that I look back on, and I was even in certain parts of that looking back on and going, yeah, that, there was a lot of fear behind that. We used fear to motivate, sort of. So anyway, that's, that's, that's an area of concern I have looking back on that 20 or 30 year run, especially back to the youth group days. Yeah. And there's purity culture that came out of that time period. Yeah. That- the purity culture was built on fear, the way of making you so cautious and fearful that you'll do the right thing. And I, you know, I mean, yep. I believe in purity. I absolutely believe in purity. And I think sometimes now the bash on the purity culture swings the, you know, swings the, swings too far the other way in a, an open-minded, anything goes. And I go, no, purity is really important, but the purity culture was whacked up. Yep. Wow. It was a special time. It was good for me to grow up. And I just wanted to thank you for being my youth pastor. Mm. Yeah, well, I can remember all the the staff that worked with us, the volunteer staff. Oh, yeah. We just, oh, man, we had so much fun. They loved doing what they were doing. Was it, was it uh, the Clarks that lived out on a farm? Yeah. And they had a three-wheeler. We got quads yep. now because they're safer. They had a three-wheeler, yep. and you let us ride them, or not you. I'm yep. not going to blame you on this. They let us ride them, and I was <laughs> – First time on the thing, I was riding it and I got too close to a fence that was on a hill and I literally that. I crashed into it. I launched over the fence, barbed wire fence into the, right Great. next to the road. Um, I remember someone that if you had an accident on that three wheeler, I remember the barbed wire issue and I'd forgotten that it was you. Yeah. Thankfully, I was such an athlete back then that I just got up and brushed it off. But uh. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I didn't I didn't worry about it. But you guys reported what happened. 
And on that three-wheeler once, I was on tilt a little bit, and I put my foot down. And you don't want to put your foot down because the back wheel's going to come. Yep. And that's when I wrecked my meniscus on my knee and had to go in for knee surgery. That that was another little event that happened out there. Yep. When I was a youth pastor, I often thought at the end of an event, oh, thank God nobody died. <laughs> oh, me too, Greg. I, I think that way about youth ministry all the time now looking back. I can tell you, you know, we used to go off to the Little North Fork and jump off the bridges. Oh, man, yeah. Oh, goodness, the stuff we did. I've got incidents back up into Canada in my youth ministry that I just go, oh, that that was so dangerous. <laughs> yep. And I you know, I don't even know if we had parent permission slips. I guess we must have, but now, nowadays, but we used to just run around and do a lot of stuff with just because. Yeah, the liability forms are, you know, kind oh, of yeah. a staple now. Mm, liability forms. I don't even remember that when we started. Yeah. Well, I also wanted to thank you for your interaction with my book. I asked you if you would be willing to look at it and possibly do an endorsement. And you actually read it. And I feel like you connected with it. And I just wanted to thank you for that endorsement. What I really like, Greg, was your take on, especially as you got into Hebrews and got into the rest, the, the Sabbath text, um, and the rest of God, your take on the nature of the rest that Christ intends for us, and it not just being a day experience, a Sunday, <laughs> a Sunday afternoon to have a snooze or eat some good food and go for a walk. It's more than that. And I just thought, no, Greg's on to something that, that everybody should be thinking about. So, yeah. You did a lot of work, Greg. Uh, thank you. I, yeah. It, it was it was birthed over many years, started my master's program, uh, got pushed along in my doctorate. And then, uh, yeah, being a pastor, I taught a class, and it uh, has morphed into what comes out today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, any other events coming? Um, I have uh, I've gotten some interviews on podcasts different podcasts that uh, I've already done several of them and they'll be coming out over the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to try mm -hmm. and continue that. That seems to be the new book tour is yeah. booking yourself on podcasts and doing, yeah, doing absolutely. social media stuff. And yeah, the whole social media world is very important when you're trying to get a book off though. And I know that because I picked that up when I wrote mine, what now about 12 years ago, um, 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. And it's only gotten bigger. So, yep. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time, Morris. Oh, Greg, talking with you has just, in my brain, revisited a whole lot of good memories. Thank you. Yeah, it was a good time, and it's good to have those memories on board. <laughs> God bless you, Greg. I love you, man. I love you, too. All right. All right. Later. Bye. Well, there you go. You got a little glimpse into part of my origin story. And that was Morris Dirks was my youth pastor. He was just influential in uh, some very pivotal years of my early life when it comes to Christianity and spirituality and how to develop a worldview. So thank you, Morris, not just for the phone call this morning, but for interacting with my content in the Rethinking Rest book and writing such a great endorsement. It's uh, right there. Part of it's right there on the back cover. 
And then the rest of it's on page one, right inside the front cover. We will have more of these origin stories as people agree to receive phone calls from me. But for now, this episode is wrapping up. Thanks for listening in to the Rethinking Scripture podcast.